Hello, chefs. You're listening to Chef's PSA Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. On today's episode, we're going to talk about something I like to call the curse of Marco Pierre White. Stay tuned. All right, so first let's begin with an update. What have I been up to this past week? Believe it or not, it was an extremely busy week for me, and I'm actually in traveling busy season for myself where I'm traveling around and doing public speaking events, filming some stuff, doing podcasts, meeting with chefs, working on projects. It's a little bit hectic, if I'm being honest. This past week, I was in Dallas, and it was it was a pretty cool thing. I got to talk to a group of students and do a book signing and provide a little lecture and discourse um, on Chef's PSA. So there were high school students that are in a culinary program. By the way, the kitchen that they have for this high school culinary program was very impressive. It was very fun for me to get in front of students, especially when they're young in their career and they're excited and they all want to be chefs and they have great questions and able to speak to them early in their career and hopefully tell them the things that I wish someone had told me when I was in that position. And remember what it's like to be in that position when you're new and you're excited. You know, we're all beginners at some point in our career. And that's honestly one of the best times in your career is like everything's new, everything's exciting. The world is your oyster. So that was fun. I got to sign books for them and take photographs and speak to them. And it's it's funny because it's like, to me, I'm just a regular person, but to them, you know, there some of them, some of them look nervous to speak to me and, you know, we're asking for autographs and all that. I'm thinking like, I'm, I'm just a, I'm just a chef, just like everyone else, nothing special. Anyway, it was fun. Also, while I was in Dallas, I was filming an episode for market scale. It's a, it's a cooking demo for home cooks is what we were doing. We were going to do this at someone's house and, uh, quick change of plans. They rented out a ghost kitchen and we went and cooked in there. And what it was is, uh, the, the idea of the, the show was to teach someone how to make some very basic things at home, like a tomato salad, a seared steak, shrimp scampi. Um, and I was working with uh, the producer. I'm sorry, not the producer. I was working with the host, Tim Maitland, and we were cooking. I was showing him how to sear a steak. It's funny for me because like, I'm not a chef anymore. I'm retired. So having not been in the kitchen for some time and then going back into the kitchen, it was... It was interesting to see how rusty I am. You know, we were, I was on my feet for like five hours and I was tired. My back was hurting. I was like, man, I can't believe I used to do this. Um, I need to get in shape. It was fun for me to, to teach someone how to, how to cook at home. And, you know, my personal opinion when it comes to home cooking is don't try and cook all these fancy things, like execute basic things well. So learn how to sear a steak properly, learn how to make, you know, a scampi properly, learn how to make a salad properly. Like these are more important to me than learning all these fancy things in a cookbook. If you, if you understand the fundamentals of cooking, I think you'll be further ahead than if you focus too much on a fancy cookbook, especially when we're talking home cooks or early in your career. Like you don't need to focus on overcomplicated recipes. What you should be focusing on is mastering the fundamentals and mastering the technique. The technique is superior to everything else. I often quote Miyamoto Musashi and I say, master one thing to master the 10,000 variations. So he's talking swordplay, I'm talking culinary. Anyway, the new books are out on audio. So Kitchen Art of War, Line Cook Survival Menu, everything that I've written right now is out on Audible. I was listening to the Kitchen Art of War. Um, it's good. 
I got to say, like, it's probably the best thing I've ever written. And I can't take full credit for it because what I did was I translated what Musashi, I'm sorry, what Sun Tzu had wrote. And basically, I interpreted it through my mind as a chef. So I was taking line by line and, and then writing it as Kitchen Art of War. But I was, I was listening to it. I was like, man, this is good. Chefs should listen to this. I think it might be a little complicated for people, especially if you don't read that style of writing. If you're not used to Eastern philosophy, if you, if you haven't read like Lao Tzu or Sun Tzu or Musashi, then it might come across a little bit odd. But if you like that style and you've read books like that, then I think this book is the perfect book for chefs that want to understand strategy and contemplate deeply on abstract thinking when it comes to managing a kitchen or running a kitchen. Go get that book. It's available on, on Audible. And obviously, you can go to chefspsa.com and, and get everything there. I've started writing another book right now. I'm titling it Bad Sue. So Bad Sue Chef. And I'm having a little bit of writer's block, I'm going to be honest with you, because it's like the last book that I wrote, Kitchen Art of War, was so good. And I wrote it really fast. But it was so good. It's like, how am I going to top that one? Because in my opinion, Kitchen Art of War is the best thing I've written. And I'm like, shit, I'm, I'm really struggling with Bad Sue. But uh, the way it's shaping up right now, most likely, is it'll be a conversation between a chef and a sous chef who's insecure. So the sous chef's going to have a lot of questions. So it's the bad sous chef learning to be a good sous chef. That's the premise of the book that I'm writing right now. I'm also working on a culinary dictionary on kitchen jargon, basically, uh, I, and the reason I started writing is because I get a lot of DMs and, and comments sometimes on the chef's PSAs on Instagram, like, what does 86 mean? Or what does this mean? And I'm realizing that a lot of my audience is new chefs and inexperienced chefs, and they don't know what some of these uh, words mean. And I, I can't blame them at some point. I didn't know what it meant, and they don't know who to ask. So I'm just going to create something. I'll give it away for free. Hopefully, I'll have it out um, within two weeks. It's already written. It's just making it look pretty and editing and I might give it to a couple of people to read. So I'll give it away for free. There'll be some slang in there like kitchen karate and Halloween ninjas and things like that. But uh, anyway, we digress. The curse of Marco Pierre White. Let's get into that. Now, if you don't know who Marco Pierre White is, he's the legendary British chef. I think he's, um, I think he's Italian, but he's British. Anyway, the legendary chef Marco Pierre White, who's one of the best chefs Ever. He's a legend. You probably know him as Gordon Ramsay's chef or Heston Blumenthal's chef. But back in the day when I was coming up as a cook, Marco Pierre White was, I mean, he was, he was like the rock star. He was, he was the most famous chef. Everyone wanted to be like Marco Pierre White. He got the girl. He was cool. He had a book that came out that was really game-changing at the time. It was White Heat. And a lot of it was in black and white. I have the book. It's a fantastic book. If you don't have White Heat, you should get it. Just it's, it's one of those books that a lot of chefs have, and they'll say it's the best book ever. You know, you could argue, is it like Charlie Trotter's book, or is it Thomas Keller's book, or is it Marco Pierre White? Like, that one is always in the conversation. White Heat is a phenomenal book. Anyway, so the, the book is in black and white and has great photos. I think there's one with him, like, in a shark and uh, smoking a cigarette. There's, there's a lot of famous pictures that you see of Chef Marco Pierre White. Like I said, he was a rock star. And when I was coming up as a chef, he was my hero. And then all of a sudden, in about 1999, I think, um, I think the restaurant that he had was Harvey's. But anyway, he was the youngest chef to receive three Michelin stars. I think he was 33 at the time. And you could go back on YouTube and you could watch old documentaries 
of him cooking and like he's like no bullshit the reporter's asking him questions and he's getting annoyed like do you want me to show you what i'm making or do you want to bother me with questions and you can tell the reporters like on the defense and they a little bit of cadence back and forth between the two anyway he was a legend and at one point and i want to say this was 1999 he gave back his his michelin stars said he didn't want it anymore he was kind of burned out he was crispy he was ready to go away and do something different. He was a little bit jaded probably, right? And I remember when that happened that I remember I was so disappointed. I was like, but he's the king. He's Marco Pierre White. Why would he give back his stars? Go and take your seat on the throne like you're the king. Why would you give up the why would you give up the crown? And I didn't understand. And for a young chef like me back then, a young cook, and idolizing someone like Marco Pierre White, I couldn't fathom the idea of wanting to step away from something that I was so passionate about and seeing that this person had reached the pinnacle of culinary, youngest three Michelin star chef, wrote this incredible book. And then, you know, the other book that he has, The Devil in the Kitchen, which if you haven't read that book, honestly, every chef should read Devil in the Kitchen. I would put it up there as, um, along with Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations, um, or I'm sorry, Kitchen Confidential. It's probably one of the best books ever written in, in terms of culinary, along with Kitchen Heart of War. But anyway, and I just remember thinking like, Marco, why, why are you doing that? Like, you're the king. And I was like, it was like watching your favorite athlete retire and, and you're like, no, but you're still so young. You could, you, could keep, you could keep playing and you could go on forever. And I didn't understand why he did it. When you start out in culinary school, cooking seems very difficult. And then when you become a really great chef, you realize cooking's kind of easy. But that journey to go from, it looks easy, I'm going to try it out, to, oh man, it's really difficult, I thought it was going to be easy, to getting really competent and saying it actually is easy. It's like the cycle of life that a chef has. And when I was coming up as a chef, I wanted nothing more than to be the best chef ever. I, I was passionate. I was driven. At the school lecture that I, I just did, someone asked me why I went to culinary school so many times. And for those of you that don't know, um, you know, I went to the Western Culinary Institute in Portland, which was Le Cordon Bleu later on. I've attended this, uh, classes at the CIA in New York, in St. Helena, in San Antonio. I've taken Ruby online courses. I've probably taken more culinary school education than anyone I know. I don't know anyone that's gone to culinary school more than I have, put it that way. And I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm just saying I don't know them and I know a lot of chefs. And so the person asked me, why did I go to culinary school so much? Was it because I was insecure? And I said, no, it was because I was so driven. And I thought that just a little bit of education would give me a little a little edge on my competition. I wanted to know everything. I immersed myself in every single book and every single new technique. I wanted to gain as much knowledge as I could so I could have a slight advantage over the competition because when you're performing at a high level, the difference between number one and number two sometimes is it, it's nothing, right? Because the number two is looking at you saying, I want the number one spot. So I wanted that number one spot. So if they were number one, I wanted whatever I could get to be the number one. And so that's why I went to culinary school so much is because I wanted that little bit of edge. Now, fast forward later on in my career, there was a moment when I recognized that it was time for me to step away. And I, I've probably told the story, but if you haven't heard it, I'll, I'll say it again. Uh, the chef de cuisine in the restaurant that I oversaw was um, 
preparing some dishes and he came to me um, and he brought me these dishes. I don't remember what it was exactly, but for the sake of conversation, I think it was like a, a mushroom with like an XO sauce and a fermented this, that, and the other. And he brought it to me and said, try the dish chef. And I tried it. Uh, he's like, what do you think? I said, it's good. It's fine. He's like, it's fine. I said, yeah, it's fine. Put it on the menu. He's like, anything you want to change? You know, he was trying to get a little bit more feedback. And I said, no, it's fine. Put it on the menu. And I was getting a little bit annoyed because he was looking for validation, but he was getting annoyed with me because he wanted more from me than, yeah, it's fine. Put it on the menu. And I took a bite and I was like, yeah, it's good. But I wasn't that interested. Now, when you've been doing this for a long time, there comes a point where people are putting food in front of you all the time. And you tried so much and you've been creative that it's, I hate to say it starts to you start to lose a little bit of interest in it. It's not as interesting. Like no one's going to really impress me with something that I haven't seen like, or haven't tasted. It happens occasionally, but it's extremely rare. And I could tell he was, I could tell he was looking for some sort of validation. And because I didn't give it to him, I could, I could see this dejected look on his face. And then he said, okay, chef, well, do you want anything else? And I said, yeah, can I get a steak? And like, I could see this look on his face. Like I just presented you a dish that I've been working on for weeks and it's creative and you know, I put my heart and soul into it and all you want is a steak. <laughs> and I saw the look in his face. He didn't say nothing, but I saw it. And I was like, yeah, it's probably time for me to leave. And that was a moment when I determined that I should probably step away from cooking because the type of chef that he needed to work for, I was no longer that chef. I, I, it was a moment in time that I recognized that I was like, ah, this is what Marco Pierwhite was talking about. Like he, he stopped he stopped chasing something, the new and the interesting and, and wanting to be on the cutting edge because there comes a certain point where it's like, you're cooking this food, but you're not enjoying it. You just want something simple and delicious. And that's what I find myself craving more often as I have a certain nostalgia for food that I came up cooking more so than the new stuff. So for example, I came up cooking in the classic style kitchen. So let's say a lobster bisque, for example, or a classic onion soup or a steak tartare or a roasted chicken. I crave that much more than I crave something new and modern in a restaurant. I just want simple food done well. And it's interesting because I saw Marco Pierre White do that and I judged him harshly. And in retrospect, now that I've lived it, I understand why he did what he did. And I call it the curse of Marco Pierre White because you see a lot of chefs do this. You see them, they, they reach a certain level and people wonder like, why did they stop progressing as a chef? Why do they still do the same food and they're not doing the new, the trendy, the creative? And I think that's because they reach a certain point in understanding where they realize there's always going to be a new and a trendy and a creative, but I just want to do this well. And I saw Marco Pierre White say this on an interview once where he said, it's, a, it's not about always reinventing. It's, all, it's about refining. It's about the distillation of the process and, and making it perfect. And that's the way cooking was, you know, I, I hate to say pre-internet, but pre-internet, you know, you, cookbooks weren't what they are now. Social media wasn't, wasn't what it is now. So many of the chefs, if you went to a European restaurant, they were basically all serving the same dishes. They were all cooking out of Escoffier's book. They were just refining it to their own style, but it was the same dishes. It wasn't so much about inventing something new. It was about refining what already existed. It's completely different than the way it is now. And I, and I call this the curse of Marco Pierre White because I think a lot of chefs get to that point. Now, I do have a saying that I really enjoy, and that is, when growth stops, decay begins. 
And so back to what I was saying earlier, when I decided to step away from being a chef, because I realized that it was no longer exciting for me to create food that was on the cutting edge. I just wanted to make simple things and I enjoyed simple things. I, I used to like to say this as a joke. I would say, sometimes I look at all the beautiful food that we create, you know, the tweezer stuff and the pretty colors and the flowers and all that, right? I'd say, I'd look at all the beautiful food that we make and I say, wow, that's pretty. And then I go eat a steak because I no longer, I found it more therapeutic to make it, but I didn't find it interesting to eat. I didn't find it something that I would crave. I found it something that I enjoyed creating, but I didn't enjoy eating. So there was a little bit of this dichotomy that I was dealing with, the internal struggle as a chef. And I was talking to one of my chef friends the other day, who's been a chef at two and three Michelin star places as a chef. And we were talking about if I opened up another place, what kind of food would I do? And he and I both had the same opinion on things. And that was, if I open something right now, I wouldn't be chasing the trend or anything like that. I just want to make good food and have a busy restaurant. Now, here's this chef that has been a chef at some of the best restaurants in the world. And he's like, brother, I totally understand where you're coming from. That's where I'm at also. If you're a young chef listening to this, understand that you might be thinking that I'm an idiot and, and I don't know what I'm talking about and that'll never happen to you. And I used to say the same thing and then eventually it did happen to me. So back to the idea of when growth stops, decay begins. When I recognized that this was an issue for me, I was like, okay, if I'm no longer going to grow as a chef, I want to maintain my legacy as a chef intact. And not many chefs um, you see them go out on top. I mean, think about, think about, you know, I'll use the fight analogy. Like how many fighters, like, do you like Anderson Silva? I think about him as a UFC fighters. He was known as one of the greatest of all time, but then he loses his last couple of fights. He just loses a fight to Jake Paul and people think he wasn't as good, but he was the goat. But had he left when he was on top, people would say he was the greatest of all time. But because he lost his last few, people think, oh, maybe he wasn't that good. But the fact of the matter is, who knows what went through his mind, and maybe he just lost the passion for it and it became a job. And so how do I reinvent myself? My, my now passion, what I'm passionate about right now is Chef's PSA. It's, I am passionate about growing the industry and helping people think, helping people learn, helping you become better chefs. I'm not saying I'll never go back in the kitchen. And if I went back in the kitchen and I opened up a restaurant tomorrow, I, I could tell you that realistically, my style of food today would be much different than I was pushing for a couple of years ago. Right now, I would probably open up something simple as before I was trying to open up you know, the best restaurant in the city. I wanted national attention. Now I would prefer a full restaurant. And if I haven't shared this story with you, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up this whole thing with a conversation that I had recently. I went to dinner with some of my chef friends, as I like to say, the Illuminati chefs. And we were having a conversation about what award means the most to you in your career. And some of them were like, oh, the James Beard Award or the Food and Wine or whatever the case may be, best chef this, best chef that. And one of the chefs said, you know, the award that means the most to me now is having a busy restaurant and making money. That means more to me than any of those awards mean. Like once you get the first award, it's like that's the most memorable one. And every single award after that, it doesn't feel the same. It's like the first time you try something. And then if you try that same thing over and over again, it doesn't necessarily have the same feeling. Well, the same thing applied to the chefs. And they all said that the best award that they are getting now is a busy restaurant with a good team and making money. 
Like that, it, their perspective changed over time. And I thought that was, that was an interesting thing. So I like to call it the curse of Marco Pierre White when the realization kicks in that simple, delicious food really is the way. And we start out our career excited and wanting to push the limits to our own culinary potential. And then we end our careers with some form of realization. Not everyone, right? Not everyone. There's always exceptions to the rule. An exception doesn't disprove the rule. We end our careers with this idea that you just kind of want what's simple and good and you don't want to overcomplicate it. So you start out with, I want 20 things on the plate so I could show everything I know early in your career. And you close your career with, I just want a simple seared piece of fish, steak, chicken, whatever the case may be, properly cooked vegetables, right? You simplify, you refine, you distill. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that rant and I hope it was thought provoking. If you want to support the show, go to chefspsa.com. You can get all the books there, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals, the book, the video course, Kitchen Art of War, Line Cook Survival Manual, the first book I ever wrote, How Not to Be the Biggest Idiot in the Kitchen. You can get the merch there. But most importantly, if you're listening to this, let me know what you think. There's a comment box if you're listening on Spotify. Let me know what you think. Make sure you leave five stars. I appreciate all of you that have left five stars. You all are the best. Those of you that have not left five stars, how dare you? But only leave five stars, nothing less. Anyway, see you all next week. Hit the porno music. Music.